Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Grillin' JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Jim, how are you, man? Well, the voice of wrestling is in Norman, Oklahoma today, and I've been in Norman, Oklahoma for the past uh, several days. Seems like a long time that I've been sentenced to this. But uh, knock on wood, as I am right now here in my office, uh, hear that knock, Conrad? Yes, That's me knocking on wood right there. Got it. Uh, so sound effects adding to our program, high production values. We're farting through silk here, ladies and gentlemen. This is a big time deal. Uh, I am, uh, getting very bored, <laughs> but I'm also very respectful of this virus that, uh, too many people are getting sick and dying. And because I am in the quote unquote high risk group because of my age, uh, AEW being a little bit uh, careful with me, which I appreciate. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's a change in our lives, man. I can't, I can't imagine, uh, how a lot of other people are, are reacting people in New York city and, you know, you got LA. I, well, I saw a shot the other day, Connor, on the news of LA traffic that I had never seen in my entire life. Even when I was there at the middle of the night, there was more traffic than what I see right now. Unbelievable. In our lifetime, if you'd asked me a year ago or whatever, oh hell, this ain't gonna happen to us, man. We got too many smart people, too many smart, uh, scientists. They'll get a vaccine. You know, they won't kayfabe us on the vaccine. Like they kayfabe us on a lot of medicines. So, uh, it's been tough, man. I, but I'm, uh, I hit my grocery store about every other day. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm grilling, so I'm cooking my own stuff and, and, uh, you know, having a, just making the best out of it. I started binge watching different things. Have you seen that thing on Netflix with that, that goofy fucker from Oklahoma? He's not from Oklahoma. <laughs> We're talking about Joe exotic. Of course, tiger King, it swept yeah. the internet last weekend. People absolutely loved it. Uh, maybe it was the weekend before. I don't know. It's been out for a couple of weeks now and people have lost their minds about this. And I could not wait to click record to you and, uh, talk about your fellow Oklahomian. God, please, please. That'd be like saying that the greatest Alabaman is, uh, uh, what's that? The little governor's name a long time ago. Oh, come the, on now. That's not fair. That's what I'm saying. It's not fair. It's not fair. What's that? What was his name? I'm not even going to tell you about Mr. Wallace. Oh, George. Yeah. 
I, I, I grew up with George Wallace, the African-American comedian who's funnier in hell, but this guy was, a, he was, a, he, he would, he's not a good representation of Alabama. No. And neither is Joe exotic. <laughs> he reminded me of a very poor, uh, but thinks he's great. Indie wrestler. Well, the hair, the guns, the big belt buckles, the, all the attire, you know, he was always dressed for show. He, he, he had more gimmicks than DDP in 1994. Oh my God. Conrad. He, he, he looks like serious business. He is the missing member of a six man tag between Michael Hayes and DDP. <laughs> Boy, that'd be a, that'd draw some cash. Wouldn't it? Uh, they'd be, they'd be fighting over mic time. Okay. We were going to give you guys two minutes, but because there's three of you and you can't stop talking, you just do the hour talking. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he, this guy's, so I watched that, you know, I, I've been on this, uh, crime scene, uh, or what's it, what's it called? CSI. Uh, uh, NCIS. S, yeah. SVU. Oh, there you go. I'm an SVU guy. Cause I like Mariska Hargaday pretty much. Uh, boy, me, her and a blue chew would be danger. You danger. Know, I was thinking maybe, you know, we should sort of hit the reset button on, on Netflix and, and what folks who watch that special or that series think of Oklahoma. And instead of having Tiger King, we could have, you know, like Cooter King for you. Yeah, Jim, right. The Jim Ross story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you're 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 you know doing your own sort of cougar training there, or you know what? I do a lot of recruiting. Cougar King. That's yeah, it. I, a lot of a lot of recruiting. Some are cougars, some are not have, not. have not attained cougar status. But here's the deal about that. People think JR's crazy. I look. We embellish a lot here. Come on, we having fun. Sure. But the other issue, Conrad, is I say this a lot that over the years, and uh, you know, tomorrows aren't guaranteed here right. in this world. So if I if I can bring a little joy to my life, and without hurting anybody, without breaking any laws and privacy of my own home, what the hell? Why not? Why not? Uh, I'm an empty nester. Here I am. So I'm not doing it out of uh, all of a sudden. Jr's become this pervert. No, I'm a normal man that is alone. And I enjoy the company of, uh, of ladies. So shame on my ass. And I know that's going to derail my goddamn push. Conrad, my push <laughs> is over because I like the ladies. I am so damn sorry. I follow my sword, ladies and gents. Well, I don't want to talk about your sword anymore. Let's talk about WrestleMania <laughs> 2000. Of course, this is WrestleMania 16, but it was marketed as WrestleMania 2000. It went down 20 years ago. April 2nd at the pond in Anaheim. So today is the exact 20 year anniversary of this show. This is the same building that held WrestleMania 12 in 1996. Of course, that one was headlined by uh, Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart in the Ironman match. This one draws 18,034 fans, 16,716 were paying customers. There's a live gate here of 1.347 million and has a 2.08 buy rate. The merchandise figure is 277 grand, which is believed to be an all-time United States record of $19 and 98 cents per head, uh, which broke the, uh, WrestleMania 14 record of 1741. So really remarkable, uh, business indicators here that you've got a gate of, of just 16,700 fans for 1.3 million. Well, unbelievable. But the thing that I, that I really gravitate to in this breakdown two things i guess the first is the per head of the merchandise i first 
had this on my radar back in 1997, Meltzer would break down. Here's how much was merch. And here's how much that breaks down per head. It's a nice metric to see, Hey, what can, besides the ticket price, what sort of add on can, as we as a company expect, uh, when they hit the merch stand and $19 and 98 cents feels like that's nearly double what you guys would normally get. It's a lot of money. And what it means folks is that, uh, everybody that came through the turnstiles spent almost uh, 20 bucks each on merch, everybody. That was the average. So, uh, it was successful. I mean, the event was the event, artistic success. Eh, we'll talk about that, but was it a financial success without a doubt? Obviously. Yeah. It's, it's amazing to see what's possible here. The company has really never been hotter. You're, you're still not running uh, giant, uh, stadiums yet, but that can't be far away. We know what's coming the next year in Houston for WrestleMania 17. Let's talk a little bit about the attendance. This has always been something that's been hotly debated, especially by guys like Bruce Pritchard and Dave Meltzer. Uh, Meltzer would report here that there's 18,034 fans here, as we said, 16,716 paying, but what's announced on TV is more than both of those. It's 19,776. And I think this became a little bit of who's on first over the years. I've been led to believe that what the WWE would announce the 19,776 is the number of total persons in the building, which would have included the cast and crew of WWE plus building staff, plus security, et cetera, et cetera. Is that the way you understood it? I think that's, that's the way I get it. I believe, uh, Meltzer's numbers are already, or always, as I understand, uh, based on, uh, athletic commission, uh, data, right? Here's what we're paying tax on. Sure. Uh, and knowing how McMahon is a stickler on dealing fairly with the government, uh, in regard to his taxes and the money and all that stuff. He taught me some good lessons in that regard for my life, uh, that, uh, you know, he ain't going to screw with the government on, and he's not going to screw around on not paying the taxes. So I would blend to believe, uh, that the 18,034 paid or uh, in attendance rather is more accurate than the 19 and change, but, uh, but it'd be either way you're talking nickels and dimes, a few people here, a few people there, but I do think that the WWE number includes everybody that's in the building. Let's keep it moving. Let's talk a little bit about where we are creatively. You mentioned earlier, <clears throat> we're coming off of no way out, which is where triple H would defeat Mick Foley in the hell in a cell match. And because of the stipulations, he has to retire. Of course, we know that retirement's not going to last long, but we'll get to that soon enough. Uh, this isn't the most memorable or the most talked about WrestleMania in history, but 2000 was really a banner year for the company. A lot of memorable things happen, but this WrestleMania doesn't really rank among them. As far as the most memorable moments from 2000, why do you think that is? Why is this such a forgettable WrestleMania show? If it's such a banner year for the company. Much like WrestleMania this year, in my view, as a fan, uh, there's no singular focus. Uh, it, the WrestleMania, uh, 2000 card was booked more like an ensemble cast without any singular stars to, whose name would go ahead, uh, go above the uh, title of the event, so to speak. Uh, I think it had everything to do with the booking. It was an all-star card. I mean, you go back and look at this card as we'll talk about and look at the hall of famers. The guys that got made millions of dollars have been very, very successful. It was dotted with big time talent. And, uh, and I was very proud of that roster, quite frankly. But the issue is, is that the plays that were called 
uh, like a great football team, uh, like the Oklahoma Sooners, or maybe, maybe even the Alabama Crimson Tide, Roll Tide, is the fact that uh, uh, we didn't call the right plays. You know, your main event had a heel winning, and you had uh, four men in a match. You had uh, triple threats. You had tags. You had three-way ladders and chairs and oh my. It just, it was hard to get a singular focus. Like the next year, you mentioned the next year, WrestleMania 17 in Houston, massive crowd, all time. One of my all time favorite days of my entire career, but it had rock and and Austin. It had a singular focus on top and those are infinitely easier to promote. I wonder now there's so much miss, uh, information, not misinformation, bits and pieces of information on the WWE main of WWE WrestleMania that I don't know, Conrad, it, it don't seem like it has the buzz. And I think that's kind of what our show had out there. We, you know, we had a guy, one of the most popular stars retire, then unretire a few weeks later. I didn't think that helped us any, quite frankly, it took a little bit of the edge off. I'm not knocking Mick. He just followed, he just run the plays. But I think the card was the, the booking was the main thing in a nutshell that why that card did not deliver. It was just a, a hodge, not a hodgepodge, a collective booking ensemble cast. I'm not a big ensemble cast guy. I'm not a big guy for the, uh, WrestleMania main event to end with a heel win. Just me old school. I get it. I get it. But, uh, a lot of fundamental things I think were, 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 uh, were done. Fundamental things were done wrong in that show, but it was led by creative. Let's, uh, let's talk about where the business is. You know, we've talked a lot about business on this show, but let's do like a a year by year comparison in February of 99, your average attendance is 14,082 fans. We're actually down 15.9% to 11,842 fans by February of 2000. You know why that is right. right. Austin's hurt. Undertaker's hurt. The, the, some of the major attractions were not available for the live events. It affected ticket sales and the impact that stone cold had on WWE, WWF, whatever, uh, was, uh, certainly significant. I and mean, we know that, but when you go look at these numbers, uh, you see that, you know, Austin's inavailability to be on these cards and to be involved deeply in the storylines, like he was as a catalyst, uh, was a major impact. It's really interesting to, uh, to take a look at. The, the glaring omissions of undertaker and, and, and stone cold on the way to this show. But this WrestleMania is going to have the debuts of edge Christian, Eddie Guerrero, Jeff Hardy, Kurt angle, Chris Jericho, and Chris Benoit, just an all-star crew here. Now, Connor, me ask this question. What blithering goddamn idiot with a Southern accent and can't smile signed those bastards. That's a pretty good little addition to the pretty good debut there. It was a new era. And like I said, I'm bullshitting, but Mark Monsoon would say, don't break your arm, patting yourself on the back. I do that all the time. So sorry. Uh, but I, that t- the, the, the WrestleMania we're talking about here, 16, 2000 to me was more significant for the guys that debuted and made their first foray into the big show and the, at the big dance, uh, than anything on the card because nothing. I didn't think a lot of things that I expected to be bad were bad, but nothing was horrible. It just wasn't great. There was not a breakthrough. Goddamn man. You got to watch this one, except maybe the latter match with the edge of Christian and Dudley's and, uh, and the Hardys. That was a, that was a show stealer. Let's, uh, let's keep it going with our comparison. So even though we tell you that 
attendance is down 15.9% because the product's gotten so hot, the company can charge more for tickets. So even though there's less fans in the crowd, in fact, 16% less, the money's up 6.3%. Your average gate in February 99 is 302 grand here in February of 2000 is 321 grand. You're still selling out 68% of your shows and ratings are up 1.4% from a 5.7 to a 5.8. It's remarkable that, you know, all the business indicators are there, that this is still a very, very healthy business, even without stone cold. Um, let's talk about beyond the mat. It's around this era where this movie is released. And even though Vince had granted them access and even was interviewed for it, it's been said that he's not really the biggest fan of it. Once it actually becomes a thing, uh, and he's even trying to bury the movie. Uh, he wants to do what he can to not promote it, not be involved with it, stop it from getting any sort of traction. It only has a limited release, 298 theaters. It's going to draw 950 grand on its opening weekend, which is uh, $3,188 per screen as an average, which is considered respectable. It's going to rank number 19 in the first weekend. It's out as far as the box office tally, but chat me up. Why did Vince sort of have a change of heart? I mean, eventually they would even promote the movie as the movie Vince McMahon doesn't want you to see. What do you remember about this paradigm shift that Vince McMahon had towards the movie? Well, I just think that he thought about it more and, uh, in an, in an emotional uh, moment with, with, uh, all these guys that uh, were on his roster and Foley and, uh, Jake. Uh, Terry Funk, guys that he knew and worked with, he was going to give them an opportunity to make a couple of bucks. It seems to me like, and then he had second thoughts. He went against his basic instinct. His basic instinct is I don't produce or promote anything that I don't own or control or that are, are they buy time like an advertiser? Uh, and then of course he can, he can check that off the box. Yes or no, I'll take the order we want. I just think he probably had second thoughts on, on it. And it was, a, uh, it also showed a real, uh, dark and, uh, you know, uh, here in this time where everybody's, a lot of people are talking about the uh, dark side of the ring. Uh, it was, it, it showed a very dark side of wrestling that was also obviously real, but Vince did not want to have a hand in uh, promoting that image. So, uh, that's kind of how that worked with me. You know, we, uh, it was, it was allegedly, as I remember, and my current manager now, Barry Bloom was involved in that with Barry Blostein. Uh, I remember as best I can recall, Conrad, it was pitched to us as a small indie art film. So it'd be something that would be a play these small movie theaters, get limited release. It was a kind of a passion project, but all of a sudden it became, you know, it started making, it made money. And, uh, none of us got any money for the time that we spent in it. I spent hours on that movie, lining up talent, interviewing, uh, you know, being a liaison of sorts among others or others of us doing the same, basically trying to cooperate. And we didn't get shit, nothing, not the offer. Hey, what can we pay you for this? What can we pay you for your time? Hey, we want to give you a thousand bucks to go out and have a nice dinner or whatever, nothing. So I think that was part of the issue with me, but I think Vince has probably had second thoughts once he saw the grittiness and the coarseness of it, that it was not, maybe not something that he wanted to promote because him promoting it on our air would be the same as him endorsing it. Obviously 
Now the movie people, Blostein and Bloom would love that because they'd have made even more money that we've not got a share of, but that's a, uh, that's kind of where I think about it on that deal. I, you know, I watched it years ago. Uh, it's not my favorite film. I was uncomfortable with it. I uh, don't know what that means to the listeners. Uh, didn't like seeing those guys in, in these, in these positions. Uh, so now in today's world today, like I mentioned earlier, the dark side of the ring, it would, it would just be another documentary. It, but it's worth watching. If you haven't seen beyond the mat, you should watch. If you're a wrestling fan, just for the, your education for the history lesson, but today's marketplace, Conrad, hell it's, it's, it's not that it's not that outrageous. Then it was. Yeah. It's interesting to see that. I mean, they even reject, apparently there was a, a contract in place to promote the movie inside WWE programming. And then of course, WWE rejects that and says, no, nope, uh, we've decided against it and we're allowed to. And, um, Ron Howard, who, uh, the Imagine entertainment promotion that funded the movie said he felt like McMahon had a couple of different motives here, but one of the ones that stood out to me was. Uh, he was object. He believed McMahon objected to the way wrestlers were presented as real people, as opposed to cartoon characters. And I think some folks believed that Vince was upset that no one was compensated and they were using his IP in order to make it a money-making venture, sort of the way you said, but what do you think of the Ron Howard objection that no, it's not the money. It's that Vince doesn't want his wrestlers to be seen as real people, as opposed to cartoon characters. Well, he didn't want people to be, he didn't want our wrestlers to be seen as everybody's not like those guys that were featured. Everybody didn't have, uh, CTE issues or other ailments or, or, or drug and alcohol issues, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's kind of what you got. Well, this is the, these are, this is behind the look of three pro wrestlers. You can't say random because you picked them out. Uh, and he knew they had, uh, some baggage and some issues to travel with them. So, uh, and you know, Ron Howard and Vince were neighbors in Greenwich. They probably still are. I went to a Christmas party there one year. Me and Jan went to got invited to a Christmas party at uh, Vince's house. And he had a big tent sitting outside. I remember it was colder than shit. Uh, and, uh, it was a fun party, especially watching Vince dance. He's like the female version of Elaine from Seinfeld. He actually believes he may be the world's greatest Caucasian dancer. However, that is a point of contention to those that have watched it in any event, Ron Howard was there and I, uh, I didn't get on the dance tour and neither did Ron, but we did have a couple of cocktails moderately. Uh, and, uh, he, he and I talked about, uh, him being in the movie, uh, the shootest, uh, with John Wayne and, uh, Lauren Bacall. So that was my Christmas night. One of my favorite memories, but. But Ron and Vince were, were, were okay. They're okay. But Ron may be right. Hell, I don't know, Conrad. I don't really know. I don't know about why he, he changed his fucking mind. He changed his mind. How many times have you heard that from guys? He changed his mind. We weren't making, we spent a lot of time, energy and resources on this project and we're not, uh, able to share in any other revenue. So he made a bad deal on the front side by letting them do that. Yep. In my opinion, yep. he thought about it more and changed his mind. That's about the best explanation I could give you. Let's talk about, um, since we're talking about beyond the mat, everybody's knee deep in dark side of the ring. Of course, a couple of days ago, they saw the story of new Jack. Couldn't really comment on that one too much, but what's had, that about? I didn't see that you had, um, last week 
I'm sure you saw as, as the rest of the world did. Hey guys, are you looking for a great father's day gift idea? I know I was, and I found it a couple of years ago with paint your life with paint your life. You get a hand painted portrait created to fit almost any budget. And it's a great gift idea for your mom, your dad, or both. You see, paint your life transforms your photos into a one of a kind, beautiful hand painted portrait done by professional artists. You can upload a photo to create anything you can imagine, maybe in a special location or a favorite pet. There's lots of options. You pick the artist, the medium, and you even get to work with the artist to make sure it's perfect. You get started in less than five minutes and you can get the portrait in as little as two weeks. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at paintyourlife.com. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded guaranteed. And right now as a limited time offer, get 20% off. That's right. 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, text the word Ross to 87204. That's Ross to 87204. Text Ross to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Uh, the story of uh, Chris Benoit, and you were a big part of that one. Right. What did you think of the final product? I mean, obviously you knew oh. what you said because they came to your house and filmed it several months ago, but you saw it all pieced together probably for the first time with everybody else last week. What'd you think? Oh, great work by this guy. Production was good. The continuity, the writing, the editing was, uh, was spectacular, uh, sad as hell, you know, very believable. It opened up a lot of old wounds that were, we think were healed, but they really weren't, you know, I was very close to Chris, uh, and, uh, the, the, the hardest, tightest hug I ever received in my life was from Chris Benoit and he hurt his neck. We were in Atlanta doing TV. He was, he was hurt. He was out. So we finally got the diagnosis and specialists and all these things to see him. And so we had two options. We could go, I can't remember. I think the front of the neck, he'd be out a year, uh, and if they went through the backside, he'd be out like half that long. But the second surgery was more temporary. It was a bandaid and the way he worked, you can't bandaid that up. So I made the decision that we'd do the surgery, uh, with a year out. And he was very worried about that because he was assuming he would not be paid. And, uh, I think much to the WWE's credit. He got his check every week, all the, every, all while he was out, even though you said, well, he got hurt in the ring. What ring? Whose ring? What year? What decade? But it didn't matter. Uh, we felt like it was the right thing to do. It was the right thing to do. And we, we got him, we got him fixed. And I said, we're going to, I'm going to make the decision. He couldn't make the decision. I said, okay, I'm gonna make the decision for us. I told him the year he got a look on his face like, oh shit, I can't live a year without pay. And I said, and we're going to pay you every week, Chris, you're not going to miss a check. You have my word on it. And then he grabbed me. I thought he was going to give me a belly to belly suplex. He had me <laughs> grip so tight. 
<laughs> and uh, I remember, and the and the the last time, and every time I've gone back to that arena in Atlanta, I remember exactly where we were standing, and uh, when that happened. So uh, it was a, uh, I just thought it was very well done. Uh, it's it's a compelling story, compelling as hell, no doubt. But when it happens to people that you know, you know so well. You know, I remember at WrestleMania 18, Jan and I had dinner with Chris and Nancy. And we were friends. I mean, Jan and Nancy got along great. They really did. They got along so good. And then and Chris liked the normality of things. Uh, and he liked being away from wrestling when he could. But when Eddie died, that changed the game big time, which we can, you know, that was the, to me, that was about as important an element of the story as there was. You know, uh, Chris lost a lot of his will to be happy and to live when, when he, when his buddy died. And, uh, I don't think everybody really realizes how close they were. So, uh, but I thought that, uh, uh, Evan Husky and those, uh, his Husky and all those guys did a fucking great job, man. They, they killed it and the editing was great. Uh, they're students of the game. He's got a great little tight knit crew. Uh, those cats do, and, and they do a nice job and I'm really glad I got to work with them. I've done some other work with them as well. They'll be coming out in, uh, in, you know, soon in, in the future. But, uh, it was good. If you're a wrestling fan, if you're a fan of documentaries, if you're a fan of crime dramas or that type thing, uh, I think you would probably be well served to check it out. Yeah. I can't recommend it enough. I think they're, uh, I thought season one was great. I think season two is another level. I've, I've like everybody listening to this by now seen the new Jack episode and the brawl for all episode has an epic meltdown situation in it i know you were a part of that one too really great stuff coming uh check your local listings but it's going to be on vice uh i have direct tv so i have vice i think you'll really enjoy it uh it's tuesdays on vice set your recorder look for it dark side of the ring let's talk about uh, in early march the new york daily news they run a three-part story on professional wrestling and the first part talks about the popularity of wrestling and the second part talks about drugs and wrestling. And in the story, they talk a lot about Brian Pillman with quotes from his wife, Melanie, uh, who's, who's talking about the use of steroids and HGH and painkillers and how perhaps all of that played a role in, in Pillman passing away. Of course, Meltzer writes a lot about this. He was really, really close with Brian. Um, Meltzer finds himself. Uh, trying to sort of break down the article, talk about the doctors, talk about McMahon. And he says, McMahon in the article claimed we've got zero to hide here. What, what role did you think, um, the company should have played or did play in policing the narrative? Like wrestlers are going to do what they do. And obviously you have been a big part of trying to implement testing policies and procedures and We've talked about that a lot and I'm sure we continue to, to, to do that. But when the mainstream media, like the New York daily news here, when they come out and start to go swinging at your industry and you're sort of the top figure and they're examining the death of one of your guys for right, right or wrong. A lot of folks think they need to defend it. Do you think Vince handled that the right way? What was the approach? What can you tell us about that? Oh man, that's a complex question and a long question, Conrad. Uh, oof. I, I don't know even how to approach that question. To be honest with you, uh, he was, he was protective of the business or tried to be, and certainly his own business, which he should be. 
the fact about Vince is so goddamn, uh, uh, you know, here's the deal. And I can tell in your tone, your questions, and I know you're representing the audience as I, as am I trying to do, but, but the issue is, is that, uh, you know, um, he, he, Vince is not always a bad guy. Oh no, no. Let me be clear. I think, and I, I say this from the perspective of a business owner, when someone uh, says something like this, yes, we, we want to have, uh, some compassion and sympathy for those who have left us, but we've also got to fight for those who are still here. Because realistically, even in this era in 2000, if Vince folded up shop and said, you know what? That's enough wrestling. I think I'm done. Vince is set for life, but there are thousands of employees who feed their kids and have access to insurance and this is their livelihood. And so when someone comes out and, and has allegations or makes claims or whatever, you feel an, uh, uh, an obligation to dig your heels in and fight for your cast and crew and your staff and the folks that you employ. Right. But it, it's a fine line because on the one hand, if we're discussing something like drug testing, it's a, it's a matter of, are we not standing up for them when we're defending it or are because in, re, in regards to the person who's passed away, or are we doing the right thing for the greater good for those who are still here by defending it? Uh, you got to defend your company. You yeah. got to defend your business uh, in my view uh, within reason. As long as you're honest and upfront, I, I, you're right about the others that you gotta, you gotta look out for the others that are still there. But, uh, I, I, in regard to this, uh, look, the, the material that was mined and produced and created and featured was negative as shit and beyond the mat. Yeah. It was a smear. Well, listen, here's, and those guys like Barry Blostein always proclaimed he was a lifelong, loyal, loving wrestling fan. But the movie had very little balance in my estimation, my opinion. That's all as a viewer and as a wrestling fan, and as someone who has probably made more money in wrestling than Barry Blostein. So, uh, you know, shit, man, I, I, I just thought it was a, it was very one-sided. It was the same old thing. And look, it's kind of like that Joe exotic deal we're talking about. I, I, I watched the damn thing, uh, well, these idiots, uh, and, uh, you know, the, the God damn, you can only imagine what was going on down there in that place. Good God almighty. Uh, but you know, the, the, uh, the, the Joe exotic thing was, it, it got to be monotonous to me. It was the same shit. Right. Another, another challenge, another promo, another, another on camera opportunity. This guy liked the camera more than anybody I've ever seen. So, uh, but that was, the, that was the deal here. I think with these guys, I, I think that it was just so one-sided, it was so negative. And of course, knowing that you're getting some dirt, some fresh dirt that the media can run with the Larry Kings of the world, for example, all that was doing was creating a thing where, well, wrestling needs to be cleaned up. You know, it's amazing to me. You son of a bitches don't say shit about when we do something good. Yeah. When we have a, uh, over a million dollar gate. And we have 18,000 people show up at the, in LA, in Anaheim of all places, nothing wrong with Anaheim. Uh, but you, you, you don't talk about that. That doesn't make the papers that doesn't make the USA today, but a review on this movie and, and telling that the, is it time for a cleanup? Are you shitting me? Is it time to clean up vaudeville? Is it time to clean up uh, a Broadway? I don't know. Is it time to clean up the movie business? It's all subjective and it's all kind of stupid, quite frankly. So 
I don't know. I, I think Vince made the right calls and those things, uh, on, uh, beyond the mat. I'm not Hey, look, I do business every day with Barry Bloom. He's my guy. I'm not mad at him about it. I'm not mad at Barry Blostein. I haven't seen him in years, but the fact that a lot of us put a lot, had a lot of skin and time and effort and got nothing for it, nothing for it. Isn't right. It's not good business. Well, so you're saying, you know, you're, I think you're trying to draw it all together here that perhaps, um, the interest in the beyond the mat movie spurred the New York daily news to do their own sort of expose and story. Uh, because once it feels like, you know, there's uh, maybe an issue, maybe everybody wants to get their fair share of clicks or downloads or, or sell the right number of newspapers, right? Exactly. And you got Ron Howard involved, very respected as he should be a genius, uh, has a wonderful reputation, uh, in the, in our country uh, around the world and especially in the entertainment world. And so all of a sudden now he's a player in this, in this deal. So that's why he saw some talk shows about it. And guys want to go on and talk about the, the situation as if, you know, I, there's just so much uh, hypocrisy when talents go on some of those shows, they're going to do all these tell alls and all this other bullshit. And, and I would suggest to you, Conrad, that well over probably 90% of their own problems, they cause themselves. Nobody made somebody do stupid things like that. Drugs, alcohol, abuse, excess. Nobody made you do it, but it's good to fade the heat as they say in wrestling and get, let somebody else take the fall. And that's kind of what I, I saw some of these, these panel shows all about, you know, uh, and that came back to Vince. God damn McMahon, big man must be a, a tyrant. He must have no conscience. He must, he must, have, he must not have any feelings. So that's kind of how I looked at it. I thought it was a, I thought it was a shit show, quite frankly. I, but I, I did, I will still, I'll, I'll stand by my guns. If you haven't seen it, try to check it out. Maybe I'm overreacting because you know, JR had a very passionate point that day on his podcast with Conrad and you know, they're going crazy, but JR was, but I don't think it was that bad. Or I see exactly what he was saying. Let's talk a little bit about a name that we haven't talked a lot about in wrestling. The Indianapolis physician, Dr. Joel Hackett, who was a friend of Brian Pillman's and obviously prescribed him, uh, probably far too many pills. Same thing with Louis Piccoli, uh, Ahmed Johnson, lots of other guys, Dell Wilkes. This became sort of a more modern day, um, Zahorian, I guess. Mm-hmm. Zahorian is a name that most wrestling fans are familiar with. W- was Hackett on your radar at any point? It's written in the observer that, uh, even though the company had banned him from attending events, a lot of the boys would still get him comp tickets to come to the shows because he was helping them in other ways. Mm. Well, we shut that down. So the boys, it wasn't all the boys. It was a, it was a two, three or four guys, Conrad. It wasn't the boys. Right. It was the fucking roster. Okay. It was a few guys that had drug problems and, and, and they, and, and they died. That was their penalty for fucking big and ignorant. They died. They abused drugs and they fucking died because they didn't have enough goddamn sense to get off of it. And there's always this use. Oh, I'm hurt. I'm working every day. I'm on the road 300 days here. Then, then fucking take off, take some time off. Oh, you can't do that because you lose your spot. If you lose your spot, you get no push. It's just, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy with some of these guys, man. There's always an excuse, always an excuse 
for an issue that is not their fault. They were only trying to make a living and quote unquote, feed my family. I want to feed my family. Feeding your family shouldn't, you need, you shouldn't need a parade because you want to feed your family. It's our obligation as human beings to take care of our loved ones. Simple as that. That's why you should stay home during this goddamn virus. You think I like staying home by myself? Hell no. I could do a podcast every day if you wanted to, because I got plenty of time. So I, I, I just, I, I don't like some of those, those excuses over the years just got worn thin and they're not even creative anymore. They're the same ones that have been repurposed. So a young wrestler here's this one about this guy. Oh, I'm going to use that one. It's crazy. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think that the whole thing was, a it started a, a downward spiral of bad publicity. Uh, and we didn't need it and didn't want it. A lot of us are working our ass off Conrad. Really? I mean, tell, I'm telling you, man. And, and to see, don't have to, have to learn it. Vince told me one time, JR in this job, in this world, this business in WWE, you got to learn to, to, you got to acquire the taste of shit because in this job and in our level, we are going to be compelled to eat a lot of shit. You're never going to like it. I'm not asking you to like it. I'm not asking you to even want to do it more. But you got to develop a little taste for it because you're going to be tasting it more often than you than you choose to. I love that analogy. Let's keep it going. Let's talk about where the company is at the end of the quarter. So January 28th, the WWF had 243 million in cash assets. 172 million of that came from their IPO. Another 71 million came in accrued profits uh, that, since the company has been in operation. And, um, the biggest reason that we see an uptick in gross revenue from 65 million in 1999 to 98 million here, as we head into 2000 is we've had a $12.1 million increase in television advertising revenue. Of course, that's because we've just launched SmackDown. We've also added a $5.8 million bonus in live event grosses. A lot of that is because they increased ticket prices by 20%, which we've recently covered up a minute ago. So now your average ticket price, this is worth mentioning is 28 bucks. Uh, there's also a huge increase in licensed merchandise. We go from 18.9 million this time last year to 32.5 million. That's how hot the company is. They've also tripled their online revenue. Obviously this is the early days of sort of e-commerce, but now there is a, a lot more of that coming in than ever before. The pre-tax profit for this last quarter is $25,857,000 uh, after taxes. That's going to be 15721 grand in net net profit, which is uh 23 cents per share. The estimates were only 18 cents a share. So that means that stock price is going to start ticking up again. You've been in the wrestling business at this point for decades, Jim, there's never been a company this hot creating this much money ever in this space, right? No, no, we were, we were doing things that uh, weren't heard of. We were doing things that led investors that led, uh, the, the, the wall street to realize that. This, this is not just grunt and groan. It's not a grunt and groan business. This is not the smoky old, uh, VFW hall. You know, this is not, uh, this is not that this is a big time business. This is the NFL of its genre. And, uh, uh and I, and we worked our ass off to accomplish that. Like I said, uh, 
you know, I go over a lot of that stuff uh, in on, in the, the new book that's out March 31st under the black hat, simply because it's a very compelling story about the journey and, and the, and you keep running into roadblocks. Anybody that's a wrestling fan, Conrad, including yourself have run into plenty of roadblocks about being a wrestling fan. And then somebody, have you ever been asked this question, Conrad, you do five podcasts a week and they're all about wrestling. Can, is there that much wrestling to really talk about? You ever sure. had that question? Of course. What do you say? Yeah, absolutely. There, there's that much to talk about with sports news radio or, or political talk radio. I mean, what in the world is, is sports talk even doing right now in the air? Like you, you think we've, we've still got wrestling to talk about now, but also back in the day, but Jim, I don't know if you've listened to any sports talk radio since everybody's been quarantined, but there's no sports. What is there to talk about? I tried to listen the other day to, uh, Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman or some young lady, uh, Joy Taylor, maybe. And they shit all over her because they kept talking and talking over each other and louder and louder. And then they, they, they smile like they're in the ninth grade. Like they just got one over on the teacher. It's ridiculous. Some of them don't even know how to do talk radio or talk television. You can't talk over each other. Like those guys did. It was, it was a horrible, but the point to your point, there's not a lot to talk about. Uh, they're begging that the damn draft goes on the NFL draft. They're begging for somebody to trade somebody in football or sign a free agent contract. They need stories. They need leads. So, and maybe that's, uh, maybe that's what will get uh, WWE some extra publicity because Gronk, Rob Gronkowski, who's going to be quote unquote host of, uh, he needs to work on his entrance. That entrance when he got introduced uh, on SmackDown the other day, uh, was a little carnyish. It was a little eye rolling. Like I ain't going to watch this shit, uh, type thing. Somebody needs to help him. Don't let him produce himself. But nonetheless, uh, the, I, I can guarantee you the, the talking heads in sports will pick up on Gronk doing something at WrestleMania, which is exactly what, uh, what, uh, the WWE needs and wants positive publicity from an outgoing, you know, a very charismatic character that's, that's loved by a lot of people. Now that he's not playing for the, for the Pats. He's out there independently. He's a, well, he's a likable guy and he's, uh, and he'll, and you can bet your ass. So what's the over under on how many spheres you'll deliver at WrestleMania. That's the only thing he can do that he not, might not hurt himself on is delivering a spear. The over under on Gronk spears could be an interesting bet. And Vegas needs some, and Vegas, I started to say they needed some propositions, but hell they're closed too. Yeah. Everybody's closed. And, uh, you, you talked a little bit about the media. Let's talk about how, uh, the Calgary sun, uh, is reporting that the British bulldog is in rehab. And that the company is paying $75,000 for it. Brett would be very critical of this because this is something normally that's played close to the vest when one of the talent go to rehab and Brett says, Hey, he's only doing this because it's good PR. I would be curious to see if he would ever actually try to help a wrestler, uh, if there was no PR spin to it. So Brett was critical and bitter in this era. Let's talk about Davy boy. We know that. Ultimately he would pass away way, way too soon. He did leave a legacy with his son. Who's been tearing it up in the, in the more recent years. He's in rehab here, according to Dave Meltzer for excessive use of painkillers, sleeping pills, morphine, and muscle relaxers. It feels like he was in a bad way here to the point that apparently the company said, you've got to go to rehab or we've got to let you go. I assume that's you that has this call. I, I was involved in it. Yeah. You know, Vince, uh, did a nice job of Davey was one of the, uh, incumbents. You know, Davey had been around for a long time, longer than, than, than myself, 
I got the WWE in 93, uh, but I was involved in that situation. The, uh, Davey was, uh, you know, Davey was a very talented guy in the ring. We, we all know that he's good. He's a hall of fame guy, et cetera, et cetera. I thought he and the British bulldog, uh, the British bulldog team, uh, were phenomenal. He and, uh, dynamite kid, Tommy Billington. I don't understand why Tommy Billington is not in the hall of fame. The, the, why the bulldogs aren't in the hall of fame together. That's where the greatest claim to fame was. Davy boy Smith was a great athlete and a, a powerhouse. And could, and could be when he wanted to be extraordinary, but I always believe that Davies, uh, claim to fame came as a member of the British Bulldogs. They're one of my favorite teams. That's, so, uh, I think both those guys should have gone to the hall of fame, but nonetheless, that's another story for another time. Maybe someday we should do a hall of fame show. Yeah. Uh, uh but anyway, uh, Davey had issues and here's the thing, you know, we, Davey got a lot of chances. And I used Davey as an example one time to Vince about the roster. I said, it's admirable that you're trying to help Davey because you like him. He's a mischievous, fun, loving, entertaining by and large to be around. Uh, but you know, we can't, we can't continue to quote unquote repackage the bulldog. And he Vince pondered that a while and he thought about, well, you're right. I said, I, I, I totally agree. We're trying to help the guy, helping him get away from the drug issues. That monkey on his back is a lot more important than, uh, him getting back in the ring for us. Saving his life would be a lot bigger deal to me than uh, who's going to be booked with next week on TV. And that's kind of like this virus shit. You know, the games are not important right now. I mean, when they cancel the Olympics, can you imagine the billions of dollars that's costing our, the, the global economy? For, for no Olympic games, it's going to be, it's haunting. It's life changing for a lot of ways. So that's why I say the dominoes are going to continue to fall economically in this, uh, in this crisis. And that's why we've all got to be smart, stay in and don't try to contract it with anybody. Don't get around a lot of people. I didn't make an exception last night, but that's another story. And I think everything's cool. <laughs> Let's keep it going. Let's talk about your pal, Steve Austin Meltzer would report. He's wearing a soft neck collar. Most of the time. That his movement is limited to walking. He's not allowed to lift weights. Of course, the hope was that he would be back at WrestleMania, but in a very limited role, um, talk to me a little bit about what Steve was thinking, what was going through his mind. Obviously he's, he's anxious to get back in there. You assume he's sort of self quarantined here himself, uh, as a result of this neck surgery, what was his attitude at the time? Leary uncomfortable. Uh, worrisome, you know, he was, he, everything that Steve was, uh, you know, he internalized a lot of things and, uh, that's just, uh, that also added to his intensity and his drive, which made him an amazing star, arguably the biggest ever in WWE. Uh, so, but I just think overall, uh, uh the kind of like we are now, if you saw, if you sat in your house by yourself. And you think, what does this virus mean? Where are we going? Well, the answers are really simple. We don't know. Right. And Steve, even though his neck surgery was successful, but he still had a litany of other injuries, football injuries, knee injuries, joint injuries. Uh, and sometimes guys that might use a little gas here, there, and yon, uh, would get 
they're, they're, you know, people understand your muscles get bigger, but your tendons don't. That's why there's all these quad tears and, and bicep tears and tricep tears, pecs, all that stuff. Your tendons don't get stronger. They say the same. It's what you're born with your DNA. And so I, I just think that the, when you're in a, in a, a high level, uh, a junior college football player, a division one football player and a weightlifter lifting heavy, uh, then wrestling, taking bumps, hitting on your hips, your joints, your knees. It's a matter of time. It's not, well, you think, you think, it, you think I can have some lingering in, injuries? Well, yeah, you dumbass, you're going to have lingering injuries. You know, this ain't, you know, they get lingering in, injuries. If you're on the, on the, on tennis, there might be, there might be bowlers out there that got lingering injuries. Hell, I don't know, but the bottom line is, yeah, you're going to, you're going to have some lingering injuries. So he did not know what baggage he was bringing back into the game, nor how good he would be. And for Steve, if he could not be amazingly productive and, and make himself quasi happy with his own matches, then he wasn't going to do it. He didn't need the money. And he wasn't going to settle. And that's the mark of a great athlete. You just don't settle. That's why I think Tom Brady will do very well if he stays healthy, which I think is a big issue uh, with, the, with the Tampa Bay Bucks. Brady gets hurt. Now, all those great dreams and all this wonderful Sarah, this uh, riding off the sunset with a couple of Super Bowls or something is, is a, it's a, a fantasy. But I think that that's the deal about what makes Brady great. He wills himself to be great, and he, he won't settle for anything less than amazing effort and preparation on his own self. And that's where Steve was. Let's talk about the ultimate warrior. Vince McMahon's been out of action for a little bit. He's been in Phoenix for a jury trial in the Jim Helwig lawsuit against himself and the company. They agreed to settle on March the 3rd. Uh, the terms of the settlement are kept confidential. The gist is. It's unauthorized use of service marks and trademarks using the phrase, always believe in merchandise, which uh, hell we had Jesus. Well, that tells me what I needed to know. What did Vince and the rest of the company think of it? It's a nuisance suit. Hellwig needed the money and that's it. I mean, what is to me is so out there. He needed the money because he didn't, he didn't invest well, apparently. He didn't say, well, apparently, and it was a payday. And I think, uh, you know, Ted Turner used to do the same thing. Turner got sued by all kinds of people over the years. And he, and he rarely, rarely heard about it because he settled. He cut the deal. He cut, you know, when, when you're offering cash to settle a thing right now and you can negotiate, you know, have some leverage there and in, in doing such and a little bit of room to, to wiggle as they say. Uh, but he never, he, he settled everything. So uh, did Ted. So I, I think Vince may have taken a page out of that book without, you know, in, inadvertently, let's just get this off the books. Let's move on. I got things to do. I'm busy. And, and this guy is going to be a pain in the ass as he is. That's why I was shocked when he came back, uh, right before his passing. Uh, again, I said this before on the show, I'm not a big fan of the ultimate warrior. Never was, never will be, uh, think he has a beautiful family and, and I wish them nothing but the best. God bless them. To have to live with him and his craziness and his idiosyncrasies and now be alone, uh, tough. It's a goddamn tough hand to be dealt. But he was not a good person in my estimation. In my opinion, Jim Helwig was not a good person. And I think this is, it's not the lawsuit that created that, that emotion in me. Other things, his lack of respect for different people. I just, you know, so it was just time away from work that Vince had to deal with that wasn't worth the, the hassle. 
to win a lawsuit that was frivolous to start with. Let's, uh, let's keep it going and talk about, uh, the USA deal. This is a big piece of news here. The WWF officially gives notice to the USA network on March 1st, that it's canceling its contract with them effective in September when the new TV season starts. Meltzer would write, this isn't necessarily as big as it sounds, but most feel it is bigger. Uh, the WWF deals for raw live wire and superstars expired in September, 2001, but the WWF has a right to get out of the deal in September of 2000 by giving the network six months notice. And then USA network has the right to match any offer. The heat contract expires in September of 2000. So they don't have to give any notice on that show. The gist is it allows them to officially begin shopping the cable package. And it appears that CBS Viacom is willing to make a big move here. We know how this winds up. It winds up with raw going to TNN in 2000, uh, Paul Heyman, uh, in a notable promo says that TNN gave Vince a hundred million dollars for it. Were you shocked that you guys eventually would leave USA or that Vince would entertain it? It feels like USA has been here for the company from the very beginning. Yeah, I was, I was surprised. Remember Conrad, when they tell you it's not about the money, it's about it's the money. all about the money, right? Right. All about the money. So, uh, and the offer, I don't know if it was a hundred million dollars or not. You know, I love Paul Heyman, one of the brightest guys I've ever known in my life in any area, but he has been known to embellish from time to time and create uh, narratives that may not exactly be accurate, but he may be right on this one, but it was a lot of money. It was a lot of money and it was a, it was a difference making money. So I, it was all about the cash and, and, uh, but I was surprised, uh, about the move. I think the Viacom name had a whole lot more to do with it than spike spike was still trying to find their foothold and find their audience, get the audience that target demographic of 18 to 49 males to find them. And, uh, I think that, uh, the, uh, uh, WWE on their, on their network was a great way to, to lead those that define young male audience over to spike. But the, the problem, the, the fact was that spike was under the, uh, umbrella with, uh, of the, of the Viacom was a big thing because that led you to CBS at some point in time. And I think that we could all realize the potential, I stress that CBS could do something similar to what NBC did on Saturday night's main event. So you had that big, uh, network, uh, a monster in CBS network that may be able to do something with you at some point in time. And uh, then they're offering you all this money and you're not going to be preempted for the dog show or any of that bullshit. I think that was another issue. The fact that, you know, that spike was going to make sure that we were, we were on every Monday night at the same time, same place. And that was important events because one of his pet peeves was always when we got, uh, when we got uh, pre uh, preempted for the dog show, yeah, uh, it was always, and it, it was a pain. Yes. You're doing episodic television and you miss a week, you know, our fans are raising hell. And it's like the fans now that when they're watching our soap operas and they get to preempted for a news deal on the, on the virus or whatever, people get pissed off. They're, they're sensitive about their programming and their, their routine. So I just think the money was, was the issue. And the fact that it, it got us a step closer to, uh, holding hands, the Viacom a little bit more. Let's talk about, um, 
the, the restaurant in Times Square. Meltzer would report the WWF Times Square restaurant is expected to turn into a late night, early morning nightclub on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights. It was pretty obvious to anyone who's been at the club of late. It was designed for this, but the club format is expected to debut within the next month. He would write that the place is usually packed on Mondays and Thursdays with people who are wanting to watch the TV show. He thinks the company already knew they had a built-in audience there, but that there are other times it's pretty weak. Uh, the merchandise store next door is, is booming. It's going to do 10 million in sales in its first year, but nobody's really coming to this thing late night and, and the other hours. So they want to turn it into a nightclub because the rent is so astronomical and the mayor, Rudy Giuliani has come out against this because the plan was for the WWF to open it up to 18 year olds. So obviously that is a, a precarious spot. The illegal drinking age here in America at the time was 21 years still is. Uh, but if you open it up to 18, they could come in and maybe they, you know, mark their hands or something like that. So the bartenders know not to serve them, but it does open yourself up to some potential liability. And apparently Giuliani even warned the WWF that they're going to, uh, monitor them. And at the first sign of bad behavior, quote, we're going to bust you from a to Z and back again. This is a guy that's got a, had that ridiculous comb over that started right about a half an inch above his ear. That if it blown off the other way to put somebody's eyes out, number one, number two, uh, he had this propensity for cross-dressing. I hear mm. saw some pictures of it. Uh, and he's, but he's the leader, you know, he's got connections. I mean, he's, you know, uh, my, my late wife, God bless her being Italian. She, she gets it. His last, he had a vow ending his name. He had connections. And so, but he wanted, he liked to exercise his muscle. Maybe somebody got that. Maybe somebody else had plans that, that, uh, venue. The thing about the restaurant that I, I think I thought it was a, I thought it had a, a lot of a potential and a, and, a, and a decent idea, but anytime knowing from being in a, from losing money and going out of business in a restaurant, I can tell you that, uh, the key to running a restaurant is who's in the house, who's in the front of the house managing and who do you have in the back of the house cooking It's two things. And you got to have both in place. And I thought the food there at the restaurant was excellent. But, uh, the guy that got busted for, uh, embezzling money, uh, you know, that was our, that was the leader over there. The guy that was leading your army in this massive investment, uh, was a crook. So you're, you're dead in the water from the get go. Let's talk about something else that's dead in the water. WCW, are you keeping tabs on them? And in this era, obviously the Monday night wars, while still technically a thing, they've been gone and over for a long time. The WWF clearly in control. WCW's business is down, down, down every single month. I think Tony has called it a roller co- uh, a, a a coffin on roller skates. In April, Eric Bischoff and Vince uh, Russo are put in charge of WCW. Did you think that had any chance of working? At this point, you hadn't spent any very much time working with Eric very briefly in WCW, but you'd been around Russo. How did you think that pairing would work? I was curious to see how it was going to work because both two very strong personalities and I didn't know who had the last word. The, uh, I, I never really followed, uh, the minute by minute activity of, uh, nitro. Uh, I would watch it if the replay was on in my hotel when we got back from, uh, doing live raw, if we weren't going to another on to the next town to do SmackDown the next day or going back to Stanford to work the next day in the office. Uh, I, I would catch it on the replay 
but you know, then you're going to fall asleep because it starts at midnight or wherever it was. And over 2 AM, uh, we had guys on the crew that certainly watched it. I watched all of it every week. I, I wasn't one of those guys. I, I was tired. I have things to do. And quite frankly, it wasn't, sometimes it was compelling. Sometimes it wasn't, but did it really matter subjective anyway? So I never really understood how that, uh, chain of command was going to be, but I, I was dubious, uh, based on what I knew on, on how that was going to, uh, to, to materialize. But you know, if they were both on the same page, you got two very creative guys in Rousseau and, and Bischoff, two very bright guys in their own way, their own unique ways. But they, they seem like their philosophies were a little bit, uh, 180 from each other. I might be wrong on that, by the way, but I, I was curious to how it was going to work out. It, 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 nobody, it didn't send a, at the time it did not send a chill up anybody's spine in Stanford. Let's talk about WrestleMania. We're finally here. We're going to kick the show off with Lily and Garcia singing the star spangled banner. What'd you think? Lillian's uh, singing chops here. Lillian does great every time. Or she, uh, the Lillian's most significant contribution to my memory was when she sang uh, on the uh, on September the thirteenth in uh, Houston. That that uh, that presentation was as impactful to me in my life uh, of the national anthem. Uh, as uh, Whitney Houston at the, at the Super Bowl that year, it was historic, could not have been better. And she was fighting back tears, uh, just tremendous performance. Uh, you know, Lillian does a good job. She's got a little, she's got her podcast and living out there in California. Nice lady, no doubt about it. And, uh, but she was to say she was anything less than spectacular would be a, would be erroneous. Why do you think Vince loved America? The beautiful, I, I just called it, um, the star spangled banner, but more WrestleMania than not it's America, the beautiful. And I don't know that just, uh, is it just him, his way of being different? No, I think it's his way of being more less political. Some people don't want to hear the national anthem. Some people don't want to hear, uh, the national anthem in London or someplace else. But America the Beautiful is a is a not that it's a ballad. I get it. I understand. I'm, and maybe it's a too fine a line I'm, I'm cutting here. But some I think I remember the, the, some dialogue about it that it was advised by some in the political correctness world that uh, singing the national anthem might not be uh, the thing to do for all for all people. My God, Conrad, we've seen it in football. We've yeah, seen but- it in football. We're, we're, remember this guy uh, uh, Colin Kaepernick. Well, but I'm talking about 1987, WrestleMania three, before you're even there, he's still singing way before political correctness. I think he just, maybe he just prefers the song. Maybe he wanted to be different. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. Simple as that. Let's keep it rolling. Let's talk about the matches. Our first one is boss man and bill uh, bull Buchanan. Uh, they're going to get a win over Godfather and D'Lo Brown nine minutes and five seconds. It's, uh, I mean, this is a star studded event. Vince is always going to rely on celebrity whenever he can. He has ice T come out and do a new rap intro for Godfather. I'm not going to say it's necessarily to mine or your liking, but ice T's a big star. Uh, this match on the other hand, doesn't get a big star. It gets a quarter star. I guess we had to start somewhere, but this one did not mesh for me. What'd you think? Same feeling, you know, it was just a match. 
it was cold, uh, no push. There's that word again. Oh my boy. The, uh, it was opener match. I mean, it was a, if in today's world, it would have been, uh, a pr- uh on the pre-show, right? You right. See, but it, it, but it got, it got four guys that worked their ass off a payday. And that is the theme of this pay-per-view. Let's talk about the next show. This is an interesting one. It's the hardcore title. This feels like we're definitely in a time capsule when it's all over. Bob Holly's holding it, but who knows how long he will, because inside of 15 minutes, uh, the belt changes hands 10 times. It's a 13 man free for all with crash. Holly Taz viscera, Rodney, Pete gas, Joey abs, Takamichi Noku, Shofunaki, the headbangers and the acolytes. Um, yeah, I, I just don't assume this is your favorite match. It was not Dave Meltzer's. He only gave it half a star. Uh, there is some glass here. Some of the glass even gets shot in a Taz's eye. Um, he doesn't get, you know, cut on the eyeball, but still he winds up having to piece, have a piece, uh, taken out after the match. What'd you think of the match? What'd you think of the hardcore title? Is this just another way to get, Hey, these guys don't have anything to do. Let's throw them in the hardcore match. It's another, it's another, uh, it's a battle Royal disguised disguised as a, uh, multiple person, hardcore match. It was a, uh, cluster to say the least it, it filled some time. It meant nothing. The hardcore title meant nothing. When you have 13 or whatever you said, title changes in a 15 minute period. Really? You're going to take that seriously. No, you're not. It's comedy. It's levity. It's lightheartedness. And, uh, that's all that was, but it was 15 minutes of your life. You can't get back. Let's talk briefly about the finish. This is something that has become a little viral in more recent years. According to Bob Holly, uh, the referee, Mr. White was Jimmy uh, white. Yeah. Good guy. He's been counted down in his earpiece by somebody backstage. So he would know how to time the count, ensuring that he wouldn't hit the mat for the three count before the bell sounds. If you see the match, you know, something goes awry because Tim white holds back on counting with a full second left. And hastily improvising a confused Howard Finkel announces that hardcore Holly has won the match and the belt. And later, um, I guess uh, it's revealed that Tim wise yelled at by all the agents, including Vince McMahon himself for the snafu. And Bob says that white was at the mercy of the person counting him down and did exactly what he was supposed to do. What'd you think of the, uh, schmoz finish here? Uh, I was, I felt bad for Timmy white, one of the hardest working, most loyal WWF guys that I, I've ever met and all the agents. Okay. I got an idea for you agents. Go fuck yourself. How's that? You goddamn, uh, you're just, you're hanging around anyway. The most goddamn impressive thing. Some of those agents in those early days did was go to catering. Come on. You know, Timmy white's ass. He's done everybody favors. He's driven people. He took care of Andre forever. And that's a guy, he ought to get a medal of honor for that. So I, I thought it was bullshit, you know, Howard. Well, the uh, winner is, uh, I'm somewhat uh, confused. You know, Howard bless his heart. So he, he just did all everybody did with this, with their job. Why would you make it? Why would you have a confusing ending to a nothing happening match? Why can't someone just go over and win the game? Herm Edwards said, we play 
to win the game. Win the game and move on and get your stinking ass 15 man hardcore match to the back. Go take a shower. See you later to party. Let's uh, talk about the next match. It's Test and Albert taking on Al Snow and Steve Blackman. Meltzer would say, no heat. This one was so bad that even Jim Ross, about four minutes in, started with his code words about how the teams were having a style clash and even doing the dreaded bowling shoe reference. Mm, which means I'm dreaded. I'm campy. And I'm uh, going to my, uh, what, did I, what, what did he say? I was going into my code words. Well, okay. he said, uh, whenever you break out the bowling shoe, it means yeah. you know that the match or the segment is in the toilet. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of ugly. It was, it was ugly. And the saving grace of that match was Trish Stratus. Hey, she could just stand around watching me and you bathe each other. It'd be entertaining. Nobody look at us. Wait a minute. That's a bad visual. That's her rights. It's really clear. <laughs> uh, Stratus needed to be sent to Memphis or Ohio Valley for a few months. So she's not ready for Broadway test would pin Blackman with an elbow off the top. And then afterwards. They bring the cheese guy in and Al Snow and Blackman beat him up to, I guess, to get their heat back. He writes, but in this Ooh, case, yeah, get, get your heat back. See how important it is, Conrad, a nothing happening match. There was just a match and we got to book it to make sure that everybody is even, even, even we got a team that wins. Then we've got another, the other team gets their heat back against a goof cheesy McCheese or whatever his name was, um, uh, TNA versus head cheese, negative star and a quarter. Did you ever think when you first started calling wrestling that you would call a match between TNA and head cheese? No, uh, that was the, another great example of what kind of content falls under the heading of entertainment in the sports entertainment, uh, vernacular. Uh, it was horrible. Uh, and, and look, Trish was brought up early because we knew she was going to be a star. And, uh, I knew she was going to be a star from the first day she walked in my office for an interview. It wasn't hard to figure out. I had good eyesight and she was extremely articulate, very intelligent as evidenced by her entrepreneurial abilities nowadays, but we knew she was going to be a star, but going down to OVW or whatever, not a bad idea, but it wasn't like we were, she, she got ready to wrestle, but it, it, it was just at that. Her role then was to get her on television create a little buzz for her who is this very beautiful woman from Toronto. So I, I don't know. I don't quite agree with Dave on that. But I, if we, if she was just a, she was in the match wrestling, I might have a different opinion, but being the, uh, the second or the ballet, whatever the hell you want to call them. Uh, I thought she did just fine. And quite frankly, she added something fresh and new to the, uh, to WrestleMania. And I'm thinking Conrad, did you mention earlier that that was her first WrestleMania too? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, you know, it's this, re this show we're talking about right now may not have been the most artistic, uh, success that we've seen at WrestleMania's. However, it's place in history because it facilitated the introduction of so many greats is pretty impressive when you, when you go back and look at it as we're doing right now, let's talk about the next match. It's edge and Christian winning the WWF tag team titles in a three-way ladder match over Matt and Jeff Hardy and the Dudley boys. They get plenty of time, 22 minutes and 29 seconds. This isn't maybe the most famous one, which happened at WrestleMania 17, but still a four-star spectacle. Meltzer would say, although this featured every bit of the effort of the previous Christian and edge and Hardy's ladder match. The spots seemed to set up and it came across as a tremendous stunt show that never had the intensity of a match. 
The crowd didn't even want to see a match. Once they saw the ladders and tables started, fans were chanting for tables from the start. Uh, let's talk about it. This is, uh, I don't even know how to describe this, a car crash, but goddamn, it's entertaining. I, I feel bad for the guys. Now as an adult, I look at this and say, man, some of that's unnecessary. I wish they were doing that. But as a kid, dude, this was a fucking badass spectacle. Was it not? Yeah. Great match. You know, I've never called, uh, a match with those three teams involved in against each other, other teams that wasn't decent and, and oftentimes spectacular. When you put these three teams together, we always got amazing results. They basically booked their own match. Much like AEW stars do now, they book their own stuff by and large. They have help, you know, you got the Malinkos and the Cherry Lens, those guys that coach you through, but you're allowed to have your own ideas. You're allowed to call an audible. You're allowed to call your own plays. And in these matches here, because of the drastic nature and the extreme nature of what was going on, you sure as hell wanted to make sure that your talents were not being forced to do something that they felt obligated to do because for God's sakes, don't lose, don't lose your push. Don't be, don't be seen as, uh, you know, uncooperative. So I, I don't, I'm not surprised this match wasn't good. What was good. Look, this match was a good il- illustration, Conrad of how, uh, somewhat tepid the Anaheim crowd was. Yeah, I, I realized it was a Sunday afternoon on based on the time difference, four o'clock start. I'm assuming, uh, maybe that has something to do with it, but the audience just were, they were not in it. They're not with it. And so you, I've always looked at it this way. I never blame the wrestling fans for being a bad audience. I blame us for not providing the product in the ring. That's going to stimulate their, their investment. And we didn't, this card again, it had no focus. It was, it was WrestleMania. And I think in 2000, just saying it's WrestleMania wasn't enough. Now, as evidenced by how things are going for WWE now, uh, WrestleMania is, uh, you know, uh, the WrestleMania is it. WrestleMania is a star of this event because who else is a star? I mean, there's a lot of good talent, but you see, you know, you follow me, my line of thought here on this deal. Yeah. It, it was a, it was a, coll- a collaborative effort. Uh, as we said earlier, and I don't think that's what you do when you have your biggest show of the year, you know, you get feature, feature two guys. I'm not even, I don't even want to see tag teams close of WrestleMania. I want to see a single match, whether it be male or female, doesn't matter to me, not one iota, but, uh, if you don't, I think you're, you're, you're screwing up. That's fascinating to hear your, your thought process on that. Why do you think the singles match even over a tag? Well, uh, it's. I, it, you don't, you don't split your focus. You can, you don't, you can, you can devote all your time to two entities that you want people to invest in. You want them to invest in these two, two people, their person, their personas, uh, personalities, the presentation and the story and the stories are, are more, more, uh, pointed. They're more easily, uh, understood and processed between two than they are four or six or eight or whoever it may be. So. That's kind of what I'm thinking there, Conrad, on that. That's my logic on it anyway. Uh, and, and fans, I'd be interested to hear they hit me on Twitter at JRSBBQ. Let me know your thoughts on this thing. You know, I'm not saying JR is always right. I'm always honest, but I prefer as a fan and as somebody that's a professional in the business to see the closing match at a major pay-per-view be a singles match. And I believe if you ask most of the talent or all the talent you could, you could poll 
they would say the same thing. Let's keep it rolling. Let's talk about the next match. It's Terry and the cat two minutes and 25 seconds. The object is to throw your opponent out of the ring. Meltzer would say it's a TNA spectacle that delivered Terry in a flesh covered G string after the match. Moolin may young were a ringside Valvinus is your referee. Ross said ahead of time, the match shouldn't be rated on the star system. It's one of those that's, deals. That's, that in, are, that's inside talk, Conrad. That's cool. inside stuff. That's cult inside and campy. So just go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you think? Uh, cat's going to pants Terry after uh, negative one star, believe it or not. And I can't believe I'm about to say this. This is the only singles match on the whole card. Terry and cat. How about that? Case closed, your honor. I rest my case. Get my point now. Uh, well, look, it's set up to be comedy. And it was, you got two, uh, ladies that were not highly trained to wrestle. Uh, they had two, uh, of the oldest people on earth at ringside and Moulin may. Uh, so I don't know how much more you got out of it. I mean, thank God it, 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 you know, went two minutes and change. Uh, but it was, it was the old, I hate this saying sometimes I do it too much myself. It was what it was. It was what we thought it was going to be. I feel like Dennis green now. They are who we thought they were. So it was what we thought it was going to be. I, I didn't, I had, I listened back to it and did you notice that in this match and folks go back and listen to it, Lawler had more enthusiasm in this match than any match in the card. Now, obviously his wife was involved in cat, but don't let that fool you. He loved to watch the ladies do their thing and the, and the, uh, you know, the little, and they're tired and all that stuff. So he had more enthusiasm with that match than anything on the card, but nonetheless, Hey, the girls worked hard. They got the, hopefully they got a nice payday over the years. Probably they probably think we screwed them, but nonetheless, uh, who doesn't let's get to, uh, the next match too cool in China on one side, Dean Malenko, Perry Saturn and Eddie Guerrero on the other Meltzer would say it's a better than average match. The focus was put on China and Guerrero. All the radicals had to sell for some of the lame looking offense by China. China did an impressive handspring elbow into the corner on Malenko and another on Saturn and then a double low blow spot. And while doing this, she ripped her pants down the side and they started falling. The poor woman was having to reverse a power bomb into a power bomb of her own while having to keep her pants from falling down. So it wasn't a very smooth power bomb. And they went right to the finish. Uh, when, uh, China went for the press slam, although Guerrero didn't get himself high enough to make the move work. And a reverse DDT like move for the pin two and a half stars, a little, uh, especially in this era, I guess this makes sense. Uh, costume malfunction, a wardrobe malfunction, two and a half stars. You got some all-star talent in there and Perry Saturn and Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko, of course, a real hall of famer in China, uh, too cool. We're white hot at this time. There's a lot of talent and I think it probably exceeded expectations because everybody had to wonder. How are we going to do this with China? Yeah. Good question. I still ask myself that today. How do we pull that off? I didn't like the booking. Didn't like intergender matches. Still don't like them. And so, yeah, I'm old school guys. I really am. It's, 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 it's not believable in the most senses. It's not believable that uh, a woman can give up uh, significant strength and size, etc. And be competitive in the, uh, showbiz world of pro wrestling. It's just, it's too big a stretch for me to, uh, 
to get there. I, I just, I can't buy into it. I can't. And I, and I've had, I had a lot of talks with Joni, AKA China about that. She didn't want to be, uh, she didn't want to wrestle women because it makes, she said, it makes me look weak. Right. You know, you want to say, Joni, you're a woman, right? You know, unless you go to grow testicles, you're always going to be a woman. So, uh, come on. I just didn't like the booking. I, I, look, I had so much, uh, respect for everybody in there, but damn, man, you know, you got Eddie Guerrero bumping around for China. Are you shitting me? If that's not a good enough reason why this particular intergender match did not cope, was not, uh, copacetic with me, then I don't have a better answer for you. Eddie Guerrero having to sell for China was unrealistic and unbelievable. But the one thing it proved is that, uh, the radical guys were team players. They were pros that did what they want, what they were asked to do, because there's not anybody in that match that would tell you that this is their first choice of wrestling at WrestleMania and wrestling in an intergender matchup, right? No way in hell. So, you know, again, good folks. I remember, you know, I, I, I could vaguely remember the match, but I, I never signed off personally, uh, as a fan of that, uh, of that work. I just never did. And, and, and I think that was proven out in that deal. Again, my bottom line to get off of it, China bouncing Eddie, Eddie settled for China is all the reason I need to tell you and the audience, you got to agree with me folks. You know, JR is going to be honest. I might not be right, but I'll give you my opinion. It just wasn't realistic to me. And I thought it was just a, a unnecessary booking. We, should, we could have done something else with, with those guys, but we didn't. And there it was. It got at least, it got, it got Eddie and China. When Eddie and China got together later on, I liked that pairing a lot, but not when they're wrestling each other. It just didn't make sense to me. Let's get going to the next match. This is an interesting one that I know you're not going to think makes sense. You've got two titles on the line here. Um, Chris Benoit, Chris Jericho, and Kurt Angle. It's a three-way match. Kurt Angle is both the intercontinental and the European champ, but it's not, um, well, it's a unique situation. Whoever wins the first fall (laughs) wins the European belt. And whoever wins the second fall wins the intercontinental title. Or maybe I have that backwards. Either way, both belts on the line. How do you do this logically? You don't. It was a gimmick match with pulling stipulations out of our ass. Oh my, my, my ass. I pulled a stipulation out of my ass one time and I called it Connie. Uh, I think that it was a pull your, pull your stipulation out of your ass match. Uh, in a sense that. Uh, we had so many, uh, multiple participant matches and they all started to look alike. That's why the Dudleys and on those cats and those ladders and tables and chairs. Oh my, was so unique and stood out because it had added it had something in it. Nobody else had. And in this match, we had the same thing. You have two titles on the line in one match with three people. So that was a, that was unique to that card. But it was, it was all it was is a, a desperate attempt to grab some uniqueness for this multiple person match. I can only tell you how good that that match with Benoit, 
Jericho and Kurt could have been if the convolution of the first fall, the second, it was a two fall match, two fall deal. It just, it just, it was hard to explain as a broadcaster. When you, you have to continue to explain the rules or the stipulations over and over again, it's not a good stipulation. They should be easy to explain and easy to understand. Well, the first of all, who wins the first of all is the Europe, you know, well, give me a break. So, but think of those three guys, Conrad, think of those three guys in a, in a regular three-way match for one title, one singular focus in that regard. So the fans can, can bear into that because look, the European title didn't mean anything. It never meant anything. It was never going to mean anything. Uh, period in a story, the money, if there was any on those titles was the intercontinental title. Yeah. That would been your, that would, that would have been your match. Those three guys of that skill set, And you know, the way these three ways are the, the champion doesn't have a championship advantage. The champion, it doesn't matter who's the champion going in because the title's up first man to score pin or submission wins it. So it doesn't make a shit. Who's the champion. Cause once the bell rings, all bets are off. So that could have been an amazing match for one title, but that was not the way that it was, but it was only booked that way to make it different from the other multiple people matches on the same card. And probably to protect Kurt angle, because with the first fall, Benoit beats Jericho for the, for the IC title. And again, Remember Kurt Angle's champ, but Benoit pinned Jericho. So now he's the champ, whatever. And then fast forward, sort of the same deal. Jericho gets a pin on Benoit. So now he is the European champion. So he got revenge for the match. He just lost. They're both champions. Kurt Angle didn't take a pin in either case, and he is left beltless. So I guess this is, uh, Benoit's the first man, uh, to win the intercontinental title at WrestleMania since like what Roddy Piper. Bret Hart, WrestleMania eight. Yeah, I think that's right. That's right. Let's keep going to the next match. We got Kane and Rikishi Fatu taking on road dog and X-Pac. Uh, Meltzer would say this match was basically rushed. I guess they, uh, I guess so they could hurry up and do their Pete Rose joke. Uh, pretty much before building to anything, Rikishi rubbed his butt in Tori's face and Kane pinned X-Pac after a tombstone after the match. Of course, the chicken, the same gimmick that Pete Rose used the year before. Got in the ring as dancing with too cool. Kane goes after the chicken, making sure he doesn't interrupt the dance number. He's about to choke slam him when Pete Rose shows up with a baseball bat. Rikishi stops him, grabs the bat. Kane choke slams him. And then of course, Rikishi rubs his ba- his, uh, his butt near the vicinity of Pete Rose's face, I guess. Uh, so the Pete Rose fun continues. I guess that's why this match even exists in the first place. Huh? Yeah. And Pete had a big bet on the game. And so he, (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Pete Rose should be at the the baseball hall of fame, by the way, just throw that in there. It's my opinion. Uh, these, uh, and I don't don't know why he said that, but I believe in it. Pete always was a good sport and Hey, look for a son of a bitch that had never been turned upside down to put your head between somebody's legs and get tombstone takes balls, big baseballs. Uh, with, with stitching and leather, horse, leather, horse hide, big ones. And this guy, uh, had no fear and he enjoyed having a good time. And what he really enjoyed were those paydays. And I don't know, I may be wrong on this, but it sure makes a good story. I believe we paid him in cash. Really? 
Mm-hmm. I think so. One of them we did. I don't. I think one of them we did, because um, I think he wanted to go somewhere and he needed to. He want, go somewhere meaning a casino. Sure. I'd go back and do some research on that. But somewhere along the way, I think uh, he got his payday that day in cash. And he did good. You know, he probably make twenty five grand. I, I got to ask about X Pac. I think he did an interview with you once where he, he says he's turned down a match on this show with Chris Jericho for the Intercontinental Title because he wanted to finish his feud with Kane. Do you recall that? I mean, I understand wanting to, uh, work with your, your buddy that you've been working with a long time on a big show, but an, an intercontinental title match at WrestleMania feels like that'd be a, a dream come true for Waltman. You think so. But you know, again, old school guy, uh, was involved in the storyline, wanted to finish it out. And quite frankly, even though the match with Jericho and X Fox would have been phenomenal, it was a cold match by and large. So, uh. I think he made the right call, finished the story out that he was already invested in and already, they already had time in and, and Sean's a unique guy that way. He's, he's a, he's a real solid pro that wants to finish his business before starting something new. And he's one of the few guys that have the balls to say something like that. And a lot of guys would not, they just accept the booking and move on instead of, you know, it's not that you question all the decisions. It's not you have to internally and in, in, in just continue to ask why it's because it's the right thing to do, but some guys are so intimidated, so insecure that they won't say a word as my daddy would say, they won't say shit with a mouthful. And that's kind of what this was. Uh, Waltman, Sean Waltman didn't have that issue after at a certain point in time, he was able to eat at the grown up table and he and able to express his opinion of which I always appreciated and, and, and enjoyed. He's a smart guy. He should be helping somebody write TV or helping train talents. He should be doing something along those lines because he's that good at what he does. And I got a lot of time for Sean Waltman. Let's get going. It's our main event. We should uh, set the stage at the Royal rumble. The rock wins the uh, rumble match to become the number one contender for the world title at WrestleMania by last eliminating big show. Of course, triple H defeated cactus Jack in a street fight to retain the world title. Then in no way out big show would defeat the rock to get a title shot at WrestleMania. Also at that event, triple H beat Foley in the hell in a cell match, which means Mick has to retire on the March 13th raw. The rock wins back his title shot, defeating big show with a little help from a returning Vince McMahon. And that got him into the match with triple H, uh, for the world title. The following week, triple H, uh, retained his title against both the rock and big show. But now Linda McMahon adds Mick Foley to the match. So we've got a four way with a McMahon in every corner. And that's the way it was marketed. These guys had a ton of time, 36 minutes and 28 seconds. And believe it or not, Hunter Hearst Helmsley retains the belt over Mick Foley, the rock and big show. Uh, I don't know, pretty anticlimactic main event for me. And you've got a lot of star power in there. I don't know if it's a McMahon in every corner that turns me off and thinks, why is that necessary? I realize it's a major curveball for Austin not to be there. It is weird that undertaker's not there, but what'd you think of the main event? Well, you got eight big time personalities out there in, in the, uh, WWE world. The four McMahons and the four talents, the four wrestlers, but you got eight people to keep your eye on, to focus on, to shoot, to talk about, to feature, etc. 
again, I challenge any fan there. there and look, there'll be some, Oh, I could do it. I, I doesn't bother me. Okay. Good for you. Good for you. Scooter. Uh, I, I, just too much going on. It's like saying the Royal rumble, when they booked the Royal rumble, they booked the Royal rumble in, in, in quadrants. So you'll have, you'll have four, you'll have four or five, six guys where it may be. And then you have a break and you rebuild it and have a break and rebuild it. And then you get to your finish. Uh, at the end of the night, but there's a process to the damn thing. Battle Royals in general have no process until you get down to the last two or three people. Uh, and we've, and we've bastardized that so much the dang, that one foot, the Shawn Michaels move. That's that's worn out now. Uh, it's good occasionally, but it's every match, every match. So, uh, uh, I just felt like it was hard to follow and you, everybody's get, everybody, you can see definitively. The, where everybody gets a rub, where everybody gets some of their shit in. And I guess I don't have a problem with that, but it's, it becomes obligatory. And then therefore if it becomes obligatory. It becomes somewhat, pre, uh, predictable and, and, uh, normal, uh, no, normal practice of business. I didn't like it. I did. Uh, and again, like I said earlier today, when we started talking about this show, I, there's no reason with this amount of talent on this card that this should not have been a blow away pay-per-view and, and it, and so you get to the last match and by the way, it's smart. Uh, uh, I thought the lineup of matches was pretty smart. Pete Rose, a little comedy segment, comedy ending, uh, for, uh, uh, that, that tag match was what it was. Nice little break there before you get to the serious business of the world title. But man, Conrad, there's just too many people out there. There's too much focus. It's split focus. And I'm a big believer that there's only so much information, a wrestling fan or a football fan or a political fan or whatever you're a fan of so much of your information that you can process And some younger guys say, well, I can't get enough. Uh, I can think of that in other terms, but I can't get enough of, of this product is a, is a fleeting art. There's, so I, I'm just saying it just, it, it just too much and who do you focus on? And, and it's just the, the build up to it, even though the booking building up to it was okay, but it's sure like we've seen that we were really trying hard in those two to three weeks prior to WrestleMania to make sure we had a, at least a, a working reason for four guys to be in this match. And then all the McMahon's there, all that stuff. It looked good on paper. It looked good on a, on a poster perhaps. And I think it did as a matter of fact, actually, but the process of it and, and processing what you saw, uh, was not good. And so, and when you have a, ma- a match like that, that's got so many moving parts, it's hard to watch them all. It's hard to, re- to invest in all of them. You can't do it. And then you have the heel going over. Uh, uh I don't know. Just, it just, just didn't seem right to me. I, I don't know. I, I went back and watched it again. I'm thinking, you know, these guys worked their ass off. They right. really did. But man, they were, they were really swimming upstream. It's upstream or upstream, either one, uh, to me. We get a little bit of blood uh, in the match from Vince McMahon and, uh, we get a big people's elbow on Stephanie McMahon, but there's a lot of talk. That this wasn't the original plan. Uh, Jericho has said that he was originally supposed to be in this match. You can even go back and find. Uh, his image on some of the early promotional materials and allegedly, uh, Vince wasn't overly sold 
on Jericho as the top guy. So he winds up being replaced by Mick Foley. And I guess that explains why Foley lost a retirement match and then comes back. Allegedly Foley even told his wife, don't be surprised if the match sucks and I don't sell a lot. Apparently he wasn't getting along with the rock and didn't really want to come back, but felt like he had an obligation to the company to talk to me about, you know, how Chris Jericho was maybe not Vince McMahon's favorite in this era, why they went another direction and whether or not Foley regretted it. Well, I would say that it comes back to the same thing. And Vince always, we talked about Chris. Vince always thought that, you know, he, he was not solo on Chris as I was. There's a big part of my book, uh, under the black hat that we talk about signing Jericho and write about it and the recruiting of it and negotiating with Vince. I had to negotiate with Vince basically to get Chris on the radar because of his fucking height. And, and that was it. I mean, you can't look at Jericho and say, if you look at me, man, think about realistic Conrad, you're a smart, smart man, much smarter than I, but what would you dislike? What would you check? What would be your bad, bad box check marks with Chris Jericho? He can't work. No, he's, he's a real good worker. Oh, he can't talk. Can he? Oh, he's a real good talker. Uh, is he, is he, uh, is he injury free? No, he hasn't been injured. He's about as durable as anybody we've ever hired. So what is it? His blue eyes. In fact, he's from Winnipeg. In fact, he survived the Tony Condello death tour at one time. No, he's short. And Vince's eyes short. That's where Jericho wore lifts in his shoes in those early days in WWE. Uh, so he had to get another, another inch or two. Boy, that could lead to another story. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, that's it. What else could there be? I mean, there's, he wasn't hard to get along with. He worked his ass off. He was talented. He was highly skilled, great skill set. He was not the ideal height to be in a main event at WrestleMania in Vince's view. And the way it works there, Conrad, is you know, as well as anybody, your sister-in-law is a big star there. It all, the world revolves around Vince. It's not about anybody else. He didn't like Chris's height and therefore he, uh, he was able to, he, he made a change and it was not a good change. I love Mick Foley. I hired Mick Foley. I went to the wall for Mick Foley more worn, more than one time. Don't have any regrets. But Mick retiring for 30 days or 60 days where it was, was not good business for anybody. Right. And so, and, and not giving Jericho, Jericho the opportunity to be in that match because he would stand out as being very short to big show and rock. He's six, four, five hundred, six, four big show, seven feet and Jericho five, 10 oops. So that's where that came about. That's all it was. Could have been anything else. What else could it have been? There's nothing else. What'd you think of, uh, the belt, not changing hands here. There was a, a bit of a, I don't know, a bit of a departure. And, and I guess it's worth mentioning too. This is a, a heel triple H here. So you've got right. bad guy, triple H winning. When you go back as far as I can remember in WrestleMania, that that was not the case, you know, even with, uh, diesel, Sean Michaels at 11, the baby face wins at 12. Sean was a baby face at 13. The undertaker was a baby face at 14, Austin at 15, Austin. Again, here, the heel retains. It's a unique thing in the WrestleMania formula here to have a bad guy retain the belt. Typically it feels like it would be a time to sort of crown a new guy or a baby face hero, but with Foley 
being a bit of the hokey pokey with his retirement piece. And we know that that wasn't the original plan. Do you think the original plan would have been, let's go with Jericho here. And then Vince got cold feet. Yeah. Jericho's, we had a lot of guys going to fit in that match. They were, they were, they were lost in our cast or casting or booking uh, on the show, but there are a lot of talents that could have fit very nicely into that, uh, that final matchup and Jericho, I couldn't think of anybody any better, but I think that, that the whole deal is just the, you know, the size of his height was, was an issue and how it was going to look in the ring compared to all those other big guys, tall guys. So, you know, I, I, I Jericho obviously ended up, you just know, uh, just doing fun. pretty good, doing good there. Right. Yeah. I mean, he made millions of dollars, millions of dollars. And he's doing the same thing now for AEW. He continues to reinvent himself. Do you think that the smarter guy as Chris Jericho is as highly skilled as he was would not have found a way for him to make that four way better? Of course he would have. That's what a pro does, but I, and, and his heart would have been in it. I'm not sure that Mick's heart was in the whole, in that process. You know, he, he had been bounced around creatively, fell from grace back in, back out, retired, unretired. I don't know. I don't know that his head was totally into the, the match going in. I'm not saying anything that would even resemble well, Mick phoned it in that night. He sure as hell did not. Uh, he took some stupid bumps. Puts himself at risk time and time and time again, continue to try to dodge that bullet, that one big old bullet that's going to eventually nail him. He loved that. I think, I think he loved it. He seemed to, to be, uh, excited about the uh, participating in a, a, a in an event that where his career is threatened so many times. And maybe I'm wrong about that. Go back and watch that match. He hit a, he took a, he took a bump with his knees, uh, into the steel steps. It was. You would never approve anybody doing, you would never suggest they do it, but that was him. But I just don't think the buildup going into the match until the bell rung was exactly, uh, was on the top of mixed list. He just didn't seem to have his heart into the situation at that point in time. And the only reason I'm saying that is because we're talking about Chris Jericho, Jericho would have, would have had that. He looked, looked at this as a different opportunity than Mick perhaps. And Jericho had not had all the starts and stops and starts and stops that Mick had, because you know, you're talking about Mick being a former champion, yeah. WWE champion. Sure. So, and he, all of a sudden he's a, he's an afterthought. He's the fourth guy thrown into a four way, uh, coming out of retirement after, which meant nothing. Mick coming out of retirement the next year at WrestleMania would have been a great deal, but instead everybody got in a hurry and, 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 and started doubting, uh, the system, the system was right. The system was right to hire Chris Jericho. He's proven that now every single day since. It's amazing to think that, you know, the original plan would have been Jericho becoming world champion at 16 and what that could have looked like for the rest of 2000, uh, on into 2001. Of course we know, uh, his day is going to come uh, vengeance 2001. He would beat not only the rock, but Steve Austin to become the undisputed champion and then headline WrestleMania 18. But. That's the story for another day. We hope you guys enjoyed WrestleMania. We, uh, we're looking forward to a weird WrestleMania this weekend, such weird times, a unique time to be a wrestling fan. We should also mention that, uh, earlier today, if you supported us on our new super Patreon at adfreeshows.com, you got a bonus episode about one of our more requested topics, uh, the plane ride from hell with myself and Jim Ross. 
Now, when you go to adfreeshows.com, you'll be able to get our shows early and ad free. You'll have a copy of the notes and the research that we do for the show. Lots of behind the scenes stuff and some extra bonus content. And to get you started this week, we've got the plane ride from hell. So check it out now, adfreeshows.com and uh, stay tuned next week, man. We've got something fun coming your way. We're, we're going to keep the theme going. We've had a lot of fun with WrestleMania, but it wasn't always about WrestleMania. Next week we're doing clash of the champions six. And this is one of the more famous ones. It's a head to head with WrestleMania, of course, but it's Ric Flair and it's, uh, the nature boy taking on the Ricky, the dragon, and they're battling for the NWA world title right there in the Superdome. That's gotta be a show you remember quite well. Yeah. Mixed reviews. Mixed reviews because we were told not to promote the event on television as a live event. So we never mentioned New Orleans or tried to sell tickets to the very, very last week. And that largely got George Scott fired as the booker because uh, he didn't want, he wanted to draw a TV audience. Uh, anyway, bottom line is that it was, it has mixed reviews. I think I worked that show with Terry Funk. Well, you worked it with uh, Michael Hayes as well. Oh. Yeah, really? Hayes is involved in this, helping you do commentary. You guys uh, used to work together back with Watson, and he's popping up here. It's an interesting Good. card. Samoan SWAT team and Midnight Express, Great Muda and Steve Casey, JYD and Butch Reed, Bob Orton and Dick Murdoch, the Varsity Club and the Road Warriors, Ranger Ross, who repels down from the fucking ceiling against the Iron Sheik, uh, Eddie Gilbert and Rick Steiner with Missy Hyatt taking on the Varsity Club, Ricky Steamboat and Ric Flair. Two out of three falls match for the NWA world title. They get plenty of time. It's uh, one of my low key favorite matches. Lots of submissions, lots of map based stuff. Really, really enjoyable. It's a fun time capsule from 1989. So stay tuned next week. Clash of the champion six. And as you heard JR mention, uh, the book is out. It's available everywhere. You can enjoy books now, but of course that means for most of us, amazon.com or do what I did and go to jrsbbq.com. Not only can you get some great sauce and all the other stuff, because Jim's still shipping product. Most importantly, you can get this new book under the black hat and you can get it personalized. And as long as you're a part of the lower 48, you've got a great deal. Uh, you get it autographed, you get a bookmark, free shipping. How do you beat that? Jim can't beat it, man. Like a sore, it's like a sore PP. Can't beat it. Uh, just can't or don't want to, uh, it's doing great. The orders at jrsbbq.com, jrsbbq.com are are great. That's where you get the personalized thing. And, uh, you tell us what you want us to write and I'll take care of it. So it's doing well. It's at Barnes and Noble books, a million, wherever they sell books, Amazon, of course. And as Conrad mentioned so nicely, our website as well. Uh, it's very competitive with all the big boys on, uh, on Amazon. And we're vying to uh, be a New York times bestseller. We're really working hard with Simon and Schuster on that deal. So and to me, it, that's a big win for wrestling. Anytime a pro wrestling book or a book about a pro wrestling personality is doing as well as our book is in the advanced stages, it means that there's a great interest in, in our brand and in the product and the genre. And I think at the end of the day, the book's going to be, as Conrad's talked about so nicely, because uh, he read it, it was the fact that... Uh, uh, you know, we, we come out whole at the end of the day. I love the business. You'll see that in this book, but you'll also see how sometimes the business in my view, and I might be wrong, did not love me back. Poor me, poor me, 
but it's a, it's a hell, it's compelling as hell. And I know Chan were here. She'd, she'd, she would approve, uh, because it's very honest and man, uh, the role that she played in my life when I was having issues with Ambien and crown Royal and Xanax, all those, that shit was, uh, eating me alive because I was afraid to show weakness and I don't, and that's not a Vince McMahon deal. It, it, it was for him too. The guy that influenced that decision and that, that mindset in my life, Conrad was my old man. Man, don't you cry. He'd be, he'd knock the shit out of me. Don't you cry. Right. <laughs> well, I want to cry. It hurts. <laughs> so, or going outside, you know, me saying to him one time that football in my era. And when I was, I'm in the ninth grade now, like a big star, right? Ninth grade. God. Anyway, I said, you can't handle guys like you couldn't handle guys like me. I'm in the ninth grade. He's six, three, two seventy. He moves the furniture around the, in the living room. All I can tell you at the end of the day, my mom was crying and I had blood coming out of my ear. I lost the one-on-one. We didn't, I didn't do well in the Oklahoma drill. So, but the dad was that way. Don't show any emotion. Don't show any weakness. It's a sad thing that we find ourselves in these traps sometimes that we don't want to show our weaknesses. We feel like we're less than a man or less than a woman, less than an adult. So I was really going through some tough times there, but her role, keeping that rudder in the water with a job that I had as important as it was was instrumental. Uh, and, uh, I think people will see that. And it just, it was a great team. I, I get emotional talking about her and how that worked, but this book's going to be a hit. And I'm so grateful for that because it meant so much to me to write it and finish it, uh, in, in lieu of uh, all the things that happened with her. So appreciate everybody. Amazon's a good spot. Books a million Barnes and Noble or jrbbq.com. Appreciate it. And we appreciate you guys clicking the subscribe button, leaving us a five-star review. Follow us on Twitter. If you'd like to ask a question about next week's clash, of the champion show, I'm sure by the time you hear this, civil will have something pinned to the top. It's at Jr. grilling. That's at Jr. grilling on Twitter. And Hey, you would have heard this show earlier this week. Had you already subscribed to the new super Patreon, you get all five of my shows early and ad free all the research, some bonus content. And earlier in the week, Eric Bischoff talked about how his most recent run in WWE went the good, the bad, and the ugly. He's never talked about it before. It's only here on our super Patreon adfreeshows.com. We'll see you next week, every Thursday, right here on Westwood one for grilling Jr. with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together. It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on a sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.